Today we're going to begin the final chapter of Acts. Are you ready to be done with the book of Acts? Woo! Amen! But it's not going to be today, sorry. We're not going to get finished today. So if you got your Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. And as we look at the last chapter, as we come to the final of Acts that I found out this week as I, I went back and looked, and we started the book of Acts in July of 21, so we've been quite some time in Acts. So we look at the last chapter, if you're expecting a big dramatic final conclusion, you're, you're probably going to be disappointed. Um, Luke leaves the book of Acts open-ended uh, with Paul ministering in Rome. He just leaves it there before Paul's trial in Rome, before anything happens, he just ends uh, there's no big conclusion because the story of Acts is still continuing today. The church is still on the same mission today, uh, which the book of Acts begins for us in those early days, the early disciples. The gospel has gone forth from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and it continues to be proclaimed to the utter ends of the earth even today. In chapter 27, we ended um, with a dramatic look at the shipwreck as Paul is on this sea voyage on his way to Rome in which Jesus promised in chapter 23 that he would make it to Rome. And we saw all the things that happened on this voyage and it ended in the shipwreck on a land that they did not recognize. Now, as chapter 28 begins, we're going to be told where they landed and we're going to be told what happens next. So let's read the first 10 verses in chapter 28 and get our bearings there and then we'll begin looking at the text. It says, After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual, or your translation may say extraordinary, kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a fire, the viper came, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice, with capital J there, has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god." Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius, that guy, lay sick with a fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. We'll stop there for the time being. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. We pray, God, that you would give us clarity as we look at this uh, admittedly difficult text. Lord, we pray that you would uh, walk us through the application that you would have for our hearts this morning and that you would use it to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that's verses 1 through 10. And verse 11 is going to tell us that Paul spent three months in Malta before he set sail again. So as we consider this text, what the ones we've read so far, and we're going to go all the way to chapter uh, verse 15, um, I'm going to do something today that I don't like doing very much. 
Uh, I'm going to make an assumption that is technically not found in the text that we just read. I'm going to work off the assumption that during his time, the three months there in Malta, Paul was preaching the gospel to these people. Now, in the passage, it doesn't say Paul evangelized them or Paul taught them or Paul ministered the gospel to them. So it is an assumption that isn't in the text. But I base that assumption on a couple of reasons that I think are pretty good reasons. I assume this because of first the healing ministry that goes on there in Malta where it says he healed Publius's father, healed all the people that came to him on the island. In the book of Acts, I think Luke by this time expects us uh, as the readers of Acts to understand the pattern of the apostles' miracles that we've seen all the way up to this point. Through Acts... These miracles, he calls them signs and wonders over and over again. They're signs that authenticate the apostles' gospel message. In Acts chapter 3, when Peter heals the man at the gate called Beautiful, he preached a sermon in the temple courts and explained that healing to us in terms of Jesus' salvation and the kingdom promises to Israel. In Acts chapter 5, it says many signs and wonders were done by the apostles uh, as the church was gathered together in Solomon's portico there at the temple courts. And earlier in Acts, we're told that Solomon's portico was where many gathered to hear the teaching of the apostles. In Acts chapter 6, uh, we're told that Stephen was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And at the same time, we're also told that his opponents couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And Luke even gives us one of Stephen's sermons in Acts chapter 7. He was testifying of Jesus and the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 8, Philip said to have done signs as he was preaching in Samaria. We could go on and on and on all the way through the rest of the book of Acts. So there's a pattern that's already established in Acts that I think continues here. And I, I admittedly am basing my assumption on that pattern. I think Paul preached the gospel in Malta during the three months he was there and that Paul, God was validating Paul's message through the healings that were taking place. And I also make this assumption because I find it personally very difficult to believe that Paul stayed in Malta for three months healing and ministering and meeting all these people without teaching about Christ or witnessing to the gospel or doing what Jesus had called him to do all along this journey on his way to Rome. I find that completely out of character for Paul to think that he didn't do that. So all that to say, my assumption is that during his time on Malta, he preached the gospel there while all these events were going on. That assumption admittedly informs my reading of this text. So I wanted you to know that up front because we need to be real careful about assuming things that are not in the text. You can get in real trouble doing that. But here, I think God brought Paul to Malta through the storm, through the shipwreck, because they needed the gospel. So with that in mind, I think our first point as we look at verse 1 in chapter 28 is that the gospel is needed by all people. Now, you read that point and you say, well, I mean, duh, that's probably a pretty general point. That could be, you could put that point over pretty much any Bible verses and say, well, this is what it means. Well, of course, the gospel is needed by every people. I mean, uh, the primitive, uncivilized natives of far off island need the gospel. And of course, that's true. But look how Luke describes the people of Malta. In verses 1 and 2, it says, After we were brought safely through, we learned the island was called Malta. The native people showed us extraordinary, unusual kindness 
For they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Not only there, but you saw in the rest that we read, there was a lot of compassion, a lot of care, a lot of hospitality, a lot of kindness to them. These are kind and compassionate people. They're certainly not savages or bloodthirsty primitives running around with bones in their nose and that kind of stuff. They received the survivors of this shipwreck with hospitality and compassion. As, As these guys came out of the water, wet and cold, the islanders are good to them. They provide for their comfort, provide for their needs, which is, to be frank, probably something that's a welcome change for the Apostle Paul. So first notice, these these islanders of Malta are helpful and kind and compassionate people, and it's obvious they value doing good to help other people. And Luke shows us over the, 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 uh, the event of the snake bite, he tells it from the perspective of the islanders, not from the perspective of Paul. It says, when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire... Uh, A viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall over dead. But when they had waited a long time, saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and they said he was a god. So if you look at it from their perspective, which is what Luke shows us, it's clear that we see that they're also, um, they're also just basically a moral people. They know the difference between right and wrong. They understand that wrong should be punished. They have a sense that those who are evil deserve justice and that murder is wrong and a terrible sin. And like the vast majority of people in the ancient world, they were religious as well. They believed in all the various deities of the day. The reason that you're in your Bible, DK is translate, justice is translated with a, a, a capital J is because it's referring to the goddess of justice. Her name was DK, the daughter of Zeus. Their point is that he's escaped the sea. He must have done something really, really bad because the goddess justice has not let him escape from his crimes. So these natives are moral people as well, and they're spiritually minded. You know, they believe in all the gods. They're ignorant of the true God, and they're misguided in their beliefs really, really bad. But they're good people from everything that we read here. When they, when they see no effect from this snake bite that they're sure is going to kill Paul or at least make him swell up, they swing from one extreme to the other. Well, first, he's got to be a murderer. He's got to be a criminal. He's got to have done something really bad for this to happen to him, and then nothing happens. Oh, well, he must be God. He must be a God. So Luke paints these islanders as kind, considerate, helpful, very moral people, who value doing good to others, very religious, but ignorant of the true God, ignorant of the gospel. And I think that is the point that Luke wants us to see. I think that is why God brought Paul to this island. Because church, even today, kind, moral, spiritually minded people need the gospel to be saved. Moral goodness, helping others, living rightly, even being spiritual, quote-unquote, is not enough to atone for the sin that separates us all from God. The islanders know that there is such a thing as justice in the world, though they think it's some goddess. 
But the truth is that there is justice in this world. And that's the problem. Perfect justice from a perfect God requires that all sin, every breach of God's law, be punished. God is holy. God is just. It means that even the tiniest, what we would think is the tiniest of sins, is a breach of His perfect law and must be met with punishment. It's not just murder. Every thought, every word against the law of God must be met with justice. And the perfect God, the perfect judge, will not be bribed with our good works or anything else that we offer. Justice requires punishment and no goodness can make up for it. In a sense... The natives were kind of right. Paul was a murderer. And he did deserve justice. They just didn't know yet that the justice and the punishment had already been poured out on Jesus Christ in Paul's place. So these natives, who were good, kind, compassionate, moral, even spiritual, though ignorant of the true God, needed to hear of Jesus and of the gospel. That alone forgives sin and makes mankind right with God. Now, we see today, as we're on mission, we see clearly and plainly how people on a far-off remote island somewhere need to hear the message. We got that. There's no problem with that. But we often miss the fact today that people all around us are living good and moral lives, even spiritually-minded lives, religious lives, but are still perishing because they have not trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the biggest obstacles of people being saved is the idea that being good or doing better or living a a, a good moral life, treating others kindly, all that is enough to make us right with God. So instead of casting ourselves in faith on the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation, to be right with God, for all that we are, all that we have before God, we think, I just need to clean up my act. I just need to do better. I just need to be better I need to reform my behavior. I need to to start living right. I need to turn over a new leaf today and start doing what God has commanded me to do. That's great, but that doesn't save you. Try that in any human courtroom if you want to talk about justice. Judge, I know I'm guilty, but I promise I'm going to do better from now on. Is that going to work? I know I committed the crime, but also I do a lot of good. That's not what justice is. Justice is punishment for the crime that you've already committed. And the truth is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Despite how good I'm striving to live, or how good you are, or how moral you are, or how kind and compassionate, despite how great your behavior may be, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only answer to sin in a perfect and holy God, to a perfect and holy God with perfect justice is the Father pouring out His wrath and justice for sin on a substitute in your place. And the only substitute is Jesus Christ. Now for sinners who understand their sin and the reality of sin, that is great news. Because the reality is that we see here on Malta is that God's kingdom is being given in the gospel. So not only does all, do all people need the gospel, but we can rest in the fact that God's kingdom is given in the gospel. 
It's coming in the gospel. It's here in the gospel. Once again in this text, it says, Now in the neighborhood of the place where, uh, where lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So once again... You see the kindness and the hospitality on this island. Not just from the Maltese people, but also from the chief man of the island as he receives them and he entertains them and he gives hospitality to them. And Paul learned that his uh, father was sick. Paul went, prayed, laid hands on him, healed him. And then all the people found out there was healing going on. They began to bring all their sick people to him and he cured them. So what are we to make of this? Are Are we to assume that Believers in the gospel expect physical healing every time there's a disease or a sickness that comes into our life? Well, of course not. There's no people alive today that were on Malta that day. They're all dead. Every person who was healed by Paul on Malta still eventually died of something. For all of them, there came a time when they weren't healed, weren't cured of physical infirmity, and they died. We see the same thing here that we've seen throughout the book of Acts as as we've walked through these things. The miracles were, were signs that God used to verify His gospel message that was being preached. They were signs pointing to God's kingdom that is breaking into reality right now. Sin entered the creation through Adam. And because of sin, the creation itself is corrupted and cursed. And that's the reason why you have suffering and sin and sickness and pain and death and all of those things. But throughout the scriptures, we're told there's coming a day when this curse of creation will be overthrown. When when God's kingdom will come in its fullness and its perfect state and a new heavens and a new earth. Sin and the effects of sin will be forever cast out. When the kingdom of God comes in fullness and Jesus returns to make all things new, sin and sickness and disease and death and suffering and all of those things will be eradicated from God's creation. Not just for a short time, like on Malta, not even for a single lifetime, like the people on Malta, but for all eternity it will be gone. And His people will live with Him forever for eternity, as He intended in the Garden of Eden, walking with God in the cool of the day. So the healing miracles that we've seen throughout the book of Acts, including the ones here in Malta, are just a foretaste of what is to come. It's not about just getting people healed temporarily and eventually they'll just get sick and old and die anyway. These divine healings are a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ to overcome the corruption of sin and the effects of the fall and all of the things in this fallen creation. It is evidence that through the gospel, Jesus has ushered in the kingdom of God, which will one day be fulfilled eternally, perfectly in the new heavens and the new earth. And these miracles are authenticating the message that Paul is preaching that the glorious and eternal kingdom that we wait for is available to you right now. The kingdom of God is breaking into the world right now.
even in this tiny remote island of Malta, the kingdom of God has come. The gospel is going forth in truth and power, and God is validating His message by showing His victory over sin, His victory over sickness and death and the effects of the fall in creation. The kingdom of God is breaking in right now. In, in, in Acts chapter 3, when Peter heals the, the lame man at the gate that's called Beautiful, he explained the healing in a sermon in the temple court. He said this healing was a sign that the kingdom promised to Israel had come and been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that the promised salvation had come to pass. The same is true here. This healing ministry of Paul on the island of Malta is not showing us that if we believe the gospel, God heals all your sicknesses in this life, all your diseases in this life. He's showing us that the kingdom of God that brings perfect and eternal healing has come in the gospel of Jesus Christ and is available to you right now. At the end of this chapter... Uh, Paul is going to be meeting with the Jews in Rome um, and they're going to reject his message as they did throughout Acts and he's going to turn to the Gentiles as he did throughout Acts. And the very last verse of Acts 28 says that Paul spends two years talking presumably to Jew and Gentile, whoever came to him, about the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the last verse in this chapter says. The kingdom has come and it is coming. The king is on his throne. And when the kingdom which we long for, which we look for and hope for, when it comes in its fullness, he'll remove the curse of the fall for all eternity. And that kingdom is available right now. Jesus said, come to me all who are burdened and weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That promise has come to all humanity. And finally, in the last part that we haven't read yet, What we see is not only do all people, even good, kind, religious, spiritual, and moral people need the gospel to be saved, not only is the kingdom of God here and coming through the gospel, but we're shown how this gospel is moving throughout the book of Acts and throughout our time. It's moving by the hands of God's church as He moves in His church. We are His instrument in the world. It said, after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with twin gods, that's Gemini, Castor and Pollux, if you care about such things, as a figurehead, putting in at Syracuse. Syracuse was a port on the east side of Sicily. It says, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. Regium is a harbor right on the toe of the boot of Italy. And it says, uh, after, after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Putiali. I guess that's how you say it, not sure. It's up about halfway toward Rome on the coast of Italy. And from this point, from this city, Putiali, they're going to walk to Rome down this famous road called the Appian Way. And it's here on the final leg of this journey to Rome that we find the church of Jesus Christ is already here and is already ministering. In the last two verses we'll look at today, it says, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, the brothers in Rome, when they heard about us, they came as far as the Forum of Appius. It was a marketplace on the Appian Way. And three taverns is just a collection of shops or huts about 30 miles south of Rome. It says, on seeing them, seeing the church come out to meet him, the brothers come out to meet him, 
Paul thanked God and he took courage. Look, for the last five or six chapters in Acts, we have focused intently on this promise of Jesus to Paul that you're going to get to Rome and you're going to testify there. But we can't lose sight of the fact that the gospel had already come to Rome way before Paul got there. Yes, he is going to minister and testify in the city. Yes, he is going to witness where others may not be able to. In the household of Caesar, we're told, to the Roman guards that are going to be guarding him. But before the great apostle ever reached Rome, the church was already God's instrument there. So who is the first people to come to Rome with the gospel? Who is the first Christians to come share the gospel? Who started all the churches there in Rome? We have no idea. Unnamed and unknown Christians on mission brought the truth to Rome and established churches there. Paul hadn't been to Rome yet. In fact, three years earlier, he wrote the book of Romans. And in Romans 1, he says, I long to see you. I long to come there so I can have some fruit among you. But way back in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples and they spoke in the languages of all the nations, there were people from Rome there. In Acts chapter 2, we were told as they were speaking in the languages of the nations, they asked, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Presumably, people from Rome went home after Pentecost on mission with the gospel. We don't know for sure, but... Now look at this. The narrative of Acts has focused our attention on Paul and his work, his mission, his travels, his interactions for the last half of the entire book. But the mission of Acts is being carried out at the same time by thousands upon thousands of people that we have never heard of whose names are never mentioned in Scripture, whose names are not recorded in the annals of history. The mission of Christ is being carried out by people like me and you, the church. So when the church at Puteoli or Puteoli or whatever it is, sends word to Rome that Paul has arrived, groups of faithful believers from Rome come out to welcome him. These unnamed believers are being used of God in the city of Rome, of course, but they're also used of God to give encouragement to the apostle as he's on his mission for Christ. Look at this scene in verse 15. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Here is the great apostle, the survivor of countless persecutions, preacher of countless sermons, a man who probably brought thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, to faith in Christ, man whom God used in ways we can only even imagine, even he needs the encouragement and the fellowship of the body of Christ. Even he needs the aid of his brothers and sisters on mission, on the mission that Christ has sent him. In in verse 15, when it says, Paul thanked God and took courage Boy, you just really get this sense of this relief. After all he's been through, two years of prison, trial, shipwreck, all the things that we've walked through in the last chapters, it's like finally he breathes a sigh of relief and takes encouragement when he sees them. You can almost feel it. 
They needed each other. He needed them as much as they needed Him to come to Rome and minister there. Church, we're called to be witnesses together as the body of Christ. Every member of the body being necessary for it to function. That's the story of Acts. God is using you as a witness to be an instrument in His hand to proclaim the kingdom has come that today is the day of salvation, and to disciple one another in love as we strive to be the witnesses together that He has called us to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts is not just a history of what happened for us to learn. It's the beginning of an unfinished story, and today you find yourself within its pages. Where has He called you to minister? To be a witness. Where has He called you to make disciples? Thankful for our life group ministry here, and for our Sunday school ministry here, and for the groups of people that are gathered together here in all different places and all different ministries to disciple one another, to intentionally walk through this life with one another, applying the principles of God's Word. Where are you making disciples? Where are you being discipled? Where are you being a witness? Where are you on mission for Christ? He has not called any of us to be spectators in His work in this world. He's called us to be on mission for Him. That's what the book of Acts is about. So what's your part in God's story? Truth is, maybe today you haven't received His kingdom yet. Maybe today is the day that the gospel comes to you as it came to the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road that day. Maybe, maybe you're like the people of Malta. Good, honorable, honest, kind, moral, generous, living good lives, striving to do good and be good. Today you need to understand that all the goodness that you can muster over your entire life, cannot undo one single tiny sin. This morning, from the time you got out of bed to right now, has there been any moment, any moment, where you have not loved God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength? If there has, that is sin. And it doesn't matter how wonderful you've lived, how good, how kind, how compassionate, how moral you've lived up until that point, or how good you live past that point, nothing you do can make up for that one sin. The only thing that can take away sin is God pouring out His justice upon it. And He has given His Son to pour out that justice and wrath upon a substitute so you and me, the sinners, can be declared righteous and innocent as Jesus takes our place. doesn't matter how good you are, how moral you are, you need the gospel in order to be right with God. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away sin. Today is the day of salvation. Don't let another moment pass without trusting in Jesus and getting on mission and being in the story that He has called you to be in this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do love You. We thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for the truth and the, just the wonderful 
news of the gospel that though we are all sinners and we all have fallen short of your glory, you have given us perfect forgiveness in your Son. We thank you for sending the Son to take our place, to take the justice we deserve, to take the punishment and the payment for sin that we deserve to be placed upon our heads. We thank you that His righteousness is applied to our account by grace through faith. And so God, now I pray that you would just in our hearts as believers, that you would give us just a sense of urgency in the mission that you've given us to be your witnesses. So many are dying lost around us. God, I pray that you would give us uh, just an urge to share the gospel, to be who you've called us to be. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, that is just trying their best, knocking themselves out to live good and live moral and straighten up and fly right and do all the things that we're told we have to do in order to be good and be right in your eyes, I pray, God, you would show them the futility of that to take away sin and that you would give them just a picture of the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection as the only way. God, I pray that you would call upon them as they call upon you and draw their hearts to faith in you, to trust in you that you have forgiven their sins in Christ and to entrust their lives and their eternal souls to Christ because he is sufficient to save. And God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to stand right down here. If you want to come, I would love to pray with you. Will you stand with me?